Good morning. A lively bunch. I love it. It's so good. I love seeing you guys shake hands with people. Hopefully you met somebody new, uh, reacquainted yourself with someone you hadn't seen through the summer. But it's so good to be in the house of the Lord together, worshiping the Lord together, hearing you guys sing an old hymn. Young people, that's called a hymn. And we still sing them in this church. And there's five verses, and we sang them all. We did it, and you guys sounded so good. I love it. I love it. Hey, we need to do something as a church, and that is we need to bring Jonah Welch back up here and pray for him because he is getting married on Saturday. And so come on up. And I want to bring the elders up as well. Jonah, I, we just want to pray for you. We want to tell you we're so thankful for you. Uh, the Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice. And uh, we want to rejoice with you in a little bit here, um, just to, to say how much we are so thankful for what you did, what you're doing in our youth the last week, serving our youth so well. Uh, but also ask that the Lord would go before the, uh, him and Abby as they get married on Saturday and lead them and bless their marriage. And I just think it's appropriate for us and for all of us to come up here and do that. And Dave, if you would, um, just lead us in prayer uh, through this time. And, and you know what? I'm going to ask... I'm going to ask them to stand. Would you guys stand just in reverence to God? I know you guys are like, we're sitting, we're standing, we're sitting, we're standing. It's okay. You guys are going to be sitting for a long time. Okay, so, so stand up now, and uh, we're going to pray for Jonah and Abby. And we're just so thankful for you, Jonah. Appreciate you, and hopefully you know that there's so much love for you. And look forward to, to next Saturday and, and your wedding. Dave? Well, and I think that we stand because we also honor marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And in a world where marriage really isn't honored. And what a special privilege I get to pray for you. And, you know, I haven't been in your life as long as uh, the Penberthys and Joe. But, you know, to me, uh, I think for Sherry and I, for, for Dylan and Emma, just to have been a part of, of that summer, you, you lived with us and we walked through all of... Uh, the things in your life, and then to see the Lord. We were there when, you know, uh, when the Lord brought, you know, Abby and those uh, early conversations and, and the excitement of it to this. So I, I think I speak for Sherry and I. We feel um, thankful to the Lord that we've had some part in this, and so we rejoice uh, with you, and we're so thankful for you, and you're going to be a great husband um, you're going to be a great ministry team, and so uh, I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to uh, be there to celebrate with you and honor you and, and honor marriage. So uh, please uh, bow with me. Lord, we do honor marriage because it's the institution that goes all the way back to uh, the very beginning, and we know that the enemy's greatest efforts are to attack marriage because if he can destroy marriage, he can destroy families, and if he can destroy families, he can destroy lives. And so we stand because we honor the institution of marriage, uh, and we stand to honor Jonah, this uh, young man who is committed to being a faithful, godly husband who desires to be a testimony to the world of what a 
true marriage looks like when it's not about him, but he puts Abby's first and, and to do it together in ministry. And I do thank you, Lord, for the opportunity I've had to be in his life and to see what an incredible, mature, godly young man he is. And I'm thankful for him. And, and we pray, Lord, for, for this week because we know all of the the craziness that can happen in a wedding. We know uh, somebody always uh, gets crazy uh, during a, a wedding week. Uh, all of that. We know, Lord. But we pray that that would not distract Jonah, Abby, the joy of this week. That it would be all that you intended it to be. That it would be a great joy that you would just... Um, as it were, Lord, block out all of the distractions um, that they would um, just cherish uh, each and every moment leading up to this. Uh, we pray for, for Jonah's family, all those that are traveling out from Indiana, um, that you would give them safe travel, uh, work out the details. Uh, again, that it would just be a, a true celebration of your providence and bringing... Um, Jonah and Abby from different places uh, in the country and different things for, for only you could do it. And for that, we praise and thank you. And again, we commit their marriage to you. And again, that this would be most of all a week that would bring you glory and their enjoyment through that. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, guys. You guys can have a seat. Take that. There you go. All right, let's uh, open our Bible and turn to a John chapter 15 uh, together. I told you guys this last week, we're going to take a couple weeks to look at the first 11 verses of the Gospel of John. And uh, last week we talked about what it meant to be connected to Christ, and this week we want to talk about what it means to abide in Christ. On April 3rd, 1973, 1973, the very first cellular phone was created and used by a Motorola, that's why they're not around anymore, Motorola, engineered Martin Cooper as he walked the streets of New York City. 49 years later, 7.6 billion people now own or, or operate a cell phone which means 7.6 billion people get frustrated over the life of the cell phone battery. But thankfully, we have chargers. We have lots of chargers. We have chargers in our car. We have chargers by our bed. We have chargers by the couch. We have chargers in the kitchen. We have chargers that go with us, portable chargers. And if we forget our portable charger and, the, and not plugging in our phone at night, we can just go to the gas station and purchase another cell phone charger. So much of our life depends on that one inch charger and that three foot long white cord. That charger gives our phones daily life. Set the phone next to the charger, nothing happens. Set it very close to the charger, nothing happens. Partially connect it to the charger, nothing happens. Plug it in correctly to the charger, 
fall asleep at night, wake up, and your cell phone is fully charged, and you're off to a good start to your day. As we jump back into John 15, we're going to look at this word abide. And to abide means this, to be correctly connected to Christ, to get daily power from him. To be correctly connected to Christ, to find your source of life. We talked about this last week. You must be correctly connected to Christ for your strength, where he is your master, he is your Lord. You must be correctly connected to Christ so that you can have daily life, so that you can bear much fruit. If you're not connected to Christ, you will not bear fruit. If you're not connected to Christ, your soul will shrivel up. And so daily abiding in Christ is essential. Daily abiding in Christ is everything. And this is exactly what Jesus wanted to tell his disciples. The way to remain fruitful, the, re the way to remain faithful to Jesus Christ in the midst of hardship and uncertainty and difficulty is to daily abide in Jesus Christ, is to daily plug yourself into Jesus Christ. In fact, there is no other way to survive the trials of life. Let's read John chapter 15 again, verses 1 to 11. And we'll jump into this word, abide. It says this, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The context here is this. Jesus is in the Passion Week, the final week of his life. He's in the last night, which is called the, the night of the Last Supper. He is with his disciples. Uh, look back in John chapter 13 and John chapter 14. You'll see there that, that Jesus has sent away Judas already to go and do what he is about to do. So Jesus is left with his 11 disciples. And Jesus keeps saying to them, I am going to leave. I am going away. I, I am going to the Father. And the disciples keep saying, where are you going? Because I want to go with you. 
And Jesus says to them, in John chapter 15, 14 and verse 18, he says to them, I will not leave you as orphans, meaning this, that, that I am not going to leave you alone. I am going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave with you the helper. You're not going to go through life alone. And this transition now from Jesus being physically with them to Jesus now being spiritually with them was very difficult. Christ was their close friend. For three years, they did everything together. They watched him do miracles. They watched him change lives. They watched him soften hearts. And now he is saying to them, I am going to leave and you can't come with me. In fact, transition marked the disciples. They left everything to follow Jesus just three years ago. They left family and friends. They left their jobs. And now their best friend was about to leave them. And this troubled their hearts. And Jesus had one night here, one last night to pour into these 11 disciples. And this is what he wanted to make sure they understood. That we're in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, and in the midst of uncertainty. The primary thing that you can do is to abide in Jesus Christ. 11 times. In 14 verses, he uses the word abide. This is how you remain faithful. This is how you remain fruitful. Stay connected to me. Stay in fellowship with me. Remain in me. And listen, church, this is so true for us today. The best thing that you can do, church, in the midst of a trial in the midst of hardship, in the midst of great uncertainty in your life, the best thing you can do is to get as close to Jesus Christ as possible. Meditate on him. Consider him every single day. Focus on him. Get alone with him. Abide with him. Don't disconnect yourself from Jesus. Don't run away from Jesus. Get as close to him as possible. Now that word there, abide, maybe in your Bible, in John chapter 15. Jonah, can you turn that fan? It's blowing my notes. And if that happens, we're in big trouble. There we go. Thank you. In, the, in John chapter 15, 1 to 11, it says abide. Now some of your Bibles may say remain or stay. Maybe it says dwell the gospel writer John loves to use this word as Jesus loved to use it. He uses it here in, in John and in 1 John 34 times. J.C. Ryle says this of, about abide and what it means to abide. And this is a great, great paragraph. This is where I see cell phones taking pictures of the TVs on my left and my right to make sure that they have it. This is what it says. To abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with him. To be always leaning on him. Pour out our hearts to him. And using him as our foundation of life, our fountain of life and strength. As our chief companion and best friend. To have his words abiding in us is to keep his sayings and precepts continually before our memories and mind and to make them the guide of our actions 
and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. And this is what it says. In verse 4, it says this, Abide in me, and I in you. This speaks to the responsibility that we have as believers to be in daily communion with Jesus Christ. Abide in me as I abide in you. There's responsibility there. There's action there by the believer to hold on to Christ in the midst of hardship. To be absolutely and continually persistent 100% of the time dependent on Jesus Christ. We find a source of strength in him. We find fellowship and love and companionship in Christ. We're daily going back to the throne of Jesus Christ for that grace that is needed each and every day. In 1 John, the same gospel writer who wrote the Gospel of John, in in 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 to 6, it says this, But whoever keeps his word in him... The love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So abiding in Christ means to walk in the same manner in which Christ walked. 1 John 3, 24 says this, The one who keeps his commands, commandments abides in him. And he in him who we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. So abiding in Christ means to obey God and to keep his commandments. In 1 John 4, 13 to 16, it says this, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and believe the one that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. The way you abide in Christ then is that you have sweet relationship with Christ, where you listen to his word and obey him. You learn and you grow in your understanding of him, your knowledge of him. You love like him and you live for him. I think many of us spend our days not in relationship with Christ but oftentimes in relationship with the world. In times of trouble, in times of hardship, the best thing to do is run to work so I can forget about it for eight hours and abide there. We run to different places to find that source of life and it's not in Jesus Christ and we've got a a sweet fellowship with the world. But we're shriveling up spiritually And Christ is saying this in the midst of uncertainty to his disciples who are facing hardship during this time and would face greater hardship in the future as they would be persecuted for their faith, as they would become martyrs for their faith. 
is don't have sweet fellowship with the world. Have sweet fellowship with Jesus Christ. Like power to a light bulb or a charger to the cell phone, so it is when we abide in Christ, he daily fills us up. And we know this, as it says there in verse 5, that apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's what I want to do. As we understand this sweet fellowship with Jesus Christ, what the text gives us then is this, four blessings that come from abiding in Christ. Four blessings that come from abiding in Christ. This is the sweetness that comes from the relationship with Jesus Christ. Number one is this, blessing number one, salvation. Blessing number one, salvation. We can't just gloss over this. We can't just run by this. This is the sweetest blessing of all time. You are saved from eternal wrath. Salvation. Look what it says. By abiding in God, verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, guys, it doesn't get any clearer than this. If you do not abide in Christ, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. There are only two places in eternity. One is heaven and one is hell. There is not a third place. There are only two groups of people on this earth, those who are headed to heaven and those who are headed to hell. And the way you know if you are headed to heaven or headed to hell is if you are abiding in Christ or you are not abiding in Christ. Jesus doesn't mince words. He makes it very clear. You are either on the wide road headed towards destruction or you are on the narrow road headed towards eternal life. Your life is either built on the sand or it is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. You are either bearing good fruit or you are bearing bad fruit. And he wants us to understand this. That where we find life will determine our eternal state. Do you find life in Jesus Christ? Are you correctly connected to Jesus Christ? John is specifically talking here in this section as Jesus speaks to the writer John. He's specifically referring to those who are close to Christ physically, but are not connected to Christ spiritually. You say, well, what's the context? Judas, he's the context. He was very close to Christ. He was right with Christ for three years, as close as you could get. He walked the walk. He talked the talk. Everybody looked at one another going, there's nobody in this room that's going to betray me. They had no idea. But Judas was not abiding in Jesus Christ. He sold out his soul for money. And so Jesus is very clear. You can be close to Jesus but not connected to him rightly. 
You can physically, as Judas was, be close to him. You could come to church. You could be around Christians, but not spiritually connected to Christ. And I'm telling you, if that's you, you are in grave danger of eternal hell. And I love you too much to candy coat that message. You've got to be connected to Christ. It's the sweetest blessing of all time. Matthew 13, 41 and 42 says this, The Son of Man will send His angels. They will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This should be disturbing to us, to all of us. But there's a certain sense of urgency here. There's only one way into heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. He said it on this same night, just one chapter before in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not around me, not closely attached to me, but through me. And the great blessing of abiding in Christ is that you are saved from judgment. You will escape the wrath of God for your sin because of what Christ has done for you on the cross. The second great blessing is this, of abiding in Christ, is powerful prayer. Powerful prayer. Look what it says in verse 7. If you abide in me, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The second great blessing here of a life that is daily abiding in Christ, is that you will have a powerful prayer life. A powerful prayer life. He says it again in John 16. Two more times he says it in John 16, that ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. And I want us to understand this there, and you go back to the verse in verse 7. If you abide in me and, abide in my, and, and my words abide in you. There is a close connection, listen church, a close connection between your time in God's word and your prayer life. Like trains on a track, they run in parallel with one another. It says that you abide in me and what? My words abide in you. Jesus is making it clear. This is what empowers our prayer life. It's the abiding word of God. Meaning this, that when scripture is properly applied to our prayers and we pray with great faith, it places God in a position to give us what we ask for. Our prayers become powerful. You say, well, how, how, how can that be? How, how can this be? 
Well, if you're in the Word and you're daily soaking up the truths of Scripture, you're daily reminding yourself of who God is and His sovereignty and His love for you, His grace and His forgiveness of you, and you're meditating on that uh, on the daily, you are not going to ask for anything that is against God. You are not going to ask of things that are selfishly motivated. You are going to concern yourself with the glory of God because the glory of God consumes you. And all you're going to want in your prayer life is for God to be glorified in whatever situation you're in. And our prayers become powerful. Our prayers become answered. Church, I think, I should say this. I don't think we understand how bad God wants to answer your prayers. God really wants to answer your prayers. Do you believe that? Because I think sometimes we're just kind of going through the motions a little bit too much in our prayer life. Just kind of casting up these, these things and hoping they don't hit the ceiling fan and blow right back into our face. God really wants to answer your prayer. He wants to answer the longings and the desires of your heart. But God is not interested in answering prayers that are flippant, redundant, thoughtless. God is interested in answering whatever you wish if it is saturated in the word of God. Where you spend time saying, okay, look, before I go to to prayer, I'm just going to I'm just going to focus on the Lord. I'm just going to saturate my mind in the Word of God. In fact, a very practical thing to do is just pray through the Psalms. Just open up the Psalms and start praying through the Psalms. You can feel the emotion of the psalmist as he writes those out and just start praying through those things. And you'll find yourself saying things like, glory to God, he is majestic and he is holy and, and he is wonderful. And all of a sudden your prayers are no longer about you, they're all about God. And then that informs... Your requests. We pray to Him. He will answer us. Could it be, church, that a lack of powerful prayer in your life is a direct result of our lack of abiding in Christ and His Word? Could it be that there are no longer holes in the knees of your jeans because you've stopped kneeling down to pray? And it's become kind of this passing thing or this three times a day thing, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you've forgotten how bad God wants to answer your prayers and your deepest longings of your heart. And church, we got to get back to filtering our prayers through the Word of God. And then God being okay with this answer for your life 
remain patient and just wait? Or no? We've got to be okay with that. And as we abide in God's word, it helps us to reorient our mind and to think, okay, God, you're not a genie in a bottle. You are not Santa Claus. And if I'm good, you'll give me what I wish for. No, you are on your throne. And this isn't about my life. This is about you working through me. F.B. Meyer says this, If you abide in Christ for daily fellowship, it will not be difficult to pray aright. For he has promised to abide in those who abide in him. And the sap of the Holy Spirit securing for you fellowship with your unseen Lord will produce in you as fruit desires and petitions similar to those which Jesus unceasingly presents to the Father. If you abide in Christ for daily fellowship, it will not be difficult to pray aright. Breakthrough prayer begins with a restored and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ that's submersed in Scripture. Number three is this, third blessing that comes from abiding in Christ. It's right there found in the first line of verse 8. It's this, God is glorified. God is glorified. By this, my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Bearing fruit comes from what? Abiding in Christ. Therefore, God is glorified when you abide in Christ. You are glorifying God the Father when you abide in His Son. In fact, this is the whole purpose and reason for your life. This gives you purpose, this gives you reason. It's to glorify God in all things. He says it very clear, by this my Father is glorified. My Father is glorified when you are a reflection of God the Father. When you bear much fruit, you are reflecting God the Father. And in reflecting God the Father, you are glorifying Him. When you abide in Christ, people see within you who God the Father is. You are simply a reflection of the characteristics of God in your life when you abide in Him. Say it another way, it's this. We become walking billboards displaying God the Father. Not displaying me. We're not displaying us, we're displaying God. When we bear much fruit, we're displaying who God is. And so abiding in Christ, listen, abiding in Christ isn't even about us. Abiding in Christ is about glorifying God. And the more we bear fruit, God is glorified. He is magnified. He is beautiful and he is attractive. Because my life is a reflection of who God is. And the more you abide in Christ, the more righteous you become, and the more effective your life is for the glory of God. And so God is honored. Your life is fulfilled 
when you abide in Christ each day. You say, man, I didn't get a whole lot done today. Man, I didn't. It was just a bad day today. I don't even know why it was bad. It was just bad. Okay, maybe I do know why it was bad, because these five things happened today. It was a really bad day. I didn't get anything done today. Did you abide in Christ today? Then you fulfilled your life's purpose. Because that, by abiding in Christ, means that you glorified God, which is the whole reason that you exist. So every day is a meaningful day. Every day is a purposeful day. Number four is this. Not only is my Father glorified that we bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my Father's love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Here it is, the fourth blessing. These sayings I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. When you abide in Christ, you will have a joy-filled life. You will have a joy-filled life if you abide in Christ. Your soul will not be satisfied unless you are abiding in Christ on a daily basis. And let's just make sure we're clear here. Happiness is not the same thing as joy. A bubbly personality is not the same thing as joy all the time. There's plenty of people who have bubbly, outgoing personalities who are actually miserable inside. So let's make sure we're clear on this, what the difference between happiness and joy is. John Piper's helpful. helpful. He says this, Don't confuse this unique joy with other upbeat feelings. Genuine Christian joy is not the power of positive thinking. Joy is not a bubbly, optimistic personality. Joy is not being happy because life is going my way. Joy is not walking through life with a naive, glass-half-full attitude. Jesus says, it is my joy in you. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Joy is the emotion of salvation. It is the joy of seeing and knowing and loving and trusting Jesus Christ. We cannot generate this true joy ourselves. It is the perfect, it is the product of the Holy Spirit in us. Joy is a glorious gladness and deep delight in the person of Jesus Christ. Such joy cannot be extinguished by the circumstances of life. It is a God-given joy greater and stronger than any trouble that comes into my life. It's that deep-seated joy within your heart. It's not because something went your way today and, and then it didn't, so I'm sad, and then it does, and then I'm happy, and I got what I wanted, so I'm happy, and then I didn't get what I, what I didn't want, so I'm not happy. It's not based on circumstances. Joy is a glorious gladness, a deep delight in the person of Jesus Christ. And look what it says very clearly. This is not your joy. This is Christ's joy. It says, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. The same joy that he went to the cross with. 
the joy set before us, he endured the cross. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18 says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. What is Habakkuk saying here? He's saying this. This is the worst case scenario. Everything is not going my way at all. Yet, I will rejoice where? In the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Person, but no one is exempt from hardship. And I'm telling you this, all the prophets, all the apostles would tell you the same thing every day. You need to abide in Christ. Not one of them would give you a different answer. It would all be the same. You must find your joy in Jesus Christ. Every one of them. You have to get close to Christ. It may be that the Lord doesn't remove this pain from you for a long time. It may be years. It may be a health condition that you're dealing with that you just want the Lord to remove. The Apostle Paul understands that. He begged the Lord, please remove this thorn. But what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. John, isolated on an island, by himself. You feel isolated? John understands that. You know what he said in First and Second and Third John? The word he used more than any other word. You want to know what word it was? Abide. Nineteen times. Abide. 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 Remain. Stay. Don't run. Connect yourself to Jesus Christ. Find your joy in the Lord. Don't look to this world. There is no joy for those who neglect Jesus Christ. Our joy comes from trusting in God's sovereignty. Our joy comes from trusting in His plan, in His protection, in His purposes, in His grace. And daily we need to be reminded of that. We can't go weeks without being in the Word of God. We can't go months without being in the Word of God and then ask ourselves, why am I not joyful today? I'll tell you exactly why. Because I stand in line with those men who have told me why through the Word of God. You're not abiding in Christ. You're spending your life grumbling and complaining and arguing and bickering and instead being in Christ. Daily joy is in direct connection with your daily connection to Jesus Christ. And we're focused on Him. And we immerse ourselves in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit uses that. And you know what the Holy Spirit does then? Is He gives within us the fruits of the Spirit. And you want to know what one of the fruits of the Spirit's are? You guys know it. Come on. 
joy. It's joy. So could it be, church, that our lack of joy is because of our lack of connection and abiding in Christ? John Piper says the joy of the Lord cannot be extinguished by the circumstances of life. Paul said to the Philippians, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I have known how to be brought low. I have known to abound in any circum- in every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, the abundance of need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is where the joy of the Lord comes from. In church, I want to encourage you with this. In the midst of great uncertainty in our world, the great uncertainty of things that are happening around us, now is the time to live out your faith in Jesus Christ. Now is the time to show the world this deep-seated joy that you have in Jesus Christ. There is no greater opportunity for the church than right now to rise up and say, hey, my joy isn't in politics. That was gone a while back, guys, okay? My joy isn't in the future of America or the school system or my work or the stock market. Church, where's our joy found? It's in the Lord. And now's the time to show the world where your joy is located. It's in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this reminder. Every week, I am amazed at the mystery of the Word of God that can confront us and comfort us at the same time. That's just amazing. That simultaneously, you just poke us right in the right spot, even pierce us a little bit, and then your word comes in to be a comfort to us. And that comfort is always found in your word through Jesus Christ. Lord, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel frustrated, when we feel bitter, when we're just having a bad day and we can't really put our finger on it, Lord, remind us of this simple phrase, abide in Christ. Help us to go back to your word. Remind us where the joy of the Lord comes from. When things become uneasy, when we start looking into the future of what's going to happen here and there, Lord, rest our hearts back in the Word of God. We don't find our joy in the future. We don't find our joy in the stock market. We don't find our joy in our jobs. We don't find our joy um, in the school systems or in the government. We don't find our joy in these things, although at times they can make us happy for sure. We find our deep-seated soul satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And my prayer, Lord, for this church is that this week we would spend day after day in Christ 
We would run to our Bibles every day and open it up and read it and just immerse ourselves in it. Lord, forgive us for last week not abiding in you. Forgive us for the last few weeks for not abiding in you. But today, it's going to be different. Moving forward, it's going to be different. We want to abide in you, so we ask for the grace to do that. In Jesus' name.